If I was less kind, I'd start by asking you to, to stand up if you've ever made a promise and then sit down if you'd never broken a promise. That wouldn't be fair, would it? It wouldn't be fair to make you stand and then stay standing, though at least we'd all be in it together. That's the danger of making promises, isn't it? The danger is not making them, it's trying to keep them. Uh, Some promises we break because of things outside of our control. Uh, You say you're going to meet someone for coffee at a certain time, but your, your car won't start. It is a broken promise, but it's not the kind most people get upset about. It's outside of your control. Though, if it happens again and again, you start to wonder. Other promises really are in your control, and when you break those promises, it matters. The common one we think of is promising you'll be at your child's soccer game, but you get stuck at work. Though rarely are you actually stuck at work, it's about priorities. You may not be conscious about it, but you've made a choice. There are relationships where faithfulness, where keeping promises is essential. There are ways we can break these promises that destroys relationships. In Malachi's day, broken promises, unfaithfulness was happening all over the place. Destroying relationships, destroying lives, just like it does for us. So far in Malachi, we've seen the half-heartedness of God's people. We've seen it in their disdain as they offer roadkill in the temple. They've shown contempt for God as they sneer at his gracious choosing love for them. God pours out faithful love for his people. But they respond with faithlessness. So have a look at verse 10. So Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? You can hear Malachi crying out, begging God's people, why are you unfaithful to God? Why are we unfaithful with each other? Our God is faithful. Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. The Lord is faithful, but his people aren't. Uh, In Malachi's day, unfaithfulness to God, uh, offering Defiled sacrifices, sneering at God's love, leads to unfaithful relationships with one another, especially in marriage. And they're unfaithful in two ways. First, they're marrying unfaithfully. And second, they're unfaithful in marriage. So first up, marrying unfaithfully. What's the problem? Uh, Jewish men are marrying Pagan women, uh, men who are meant to worship the Lord alone and raise children who love God, they're marrying idol worshippers and we know where this leads. Verse 11, uh, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, May the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though 
he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Uh, Now, in case you're confused, this has got nothing to do with race. Uh, Sadly, some Christians have been infected by racism in their culture and they think God cares about the skin colour of a husband and wife. Uh, There's an infamous Christian Christian university in America, Bob Jones University. Uh, At its founding, it practised segregation. Only people with white skin could enrol to study there. Eventually, it allowed all people created in God's image to enrol, but it was only in the year 2000 that it allowed black and white students to date, let alone get married. That is not from the Bible. That policy and practice was sinful. Uh, The Bible has no problem with marriage across ethnic or national boundaries. Uh, Think of Ruth, the Moabite who married Boaz, the Israelite. Ruth and Boaz become the great-grandparents of King David, which means they're part of Jesus' family tree. So if it's not about race, what's the issue in verse 11? The problem isn't foreign women. The problem is foreign gods. It's the problem we see with King Solomon, David's son. Solomon married loads of women, and that's just the start of the problem. Almost all his wives worshipped fake gods, worshipped idols, and Solomon ends up doing the same. So have a listen. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. This is what Malachi is addressing. Marrying idol worshippers leads to worshipping idols. Loving someone who loves fake gods leads your heart from the true God. God is serious about idol worship. It's because of idol worship that Israel was destroyed and Judah exiled. Now, taking a step back, what the Bible says about marriage and faith is pretty clear. Christians Christians can marry whoever they like when it comes to skin colour, nationality, eye colour. If you prefer skinny, muscly, curvy, it really doesn't matter. And most of those things change over time anyway. But because of the intimacy of marriage and because of the reality it can that it can lead you away from God... God tells his people to marry someone who loves Jesus. That's the point of Malachi. We see it also in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is speaking to widows and he says, if they're going to marry, it must be a believer. So 1 Corinthians 7.39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, this verse is addressing widows. Uh, This is because in the ancient world, marriages were arranged. You didn't have much say, but as a widow, you did. And the important point is, when you have a say in who you marry, he or she must be a Christian, must belong to the Lord. God is clear in this, we see why, though it raises some serious and sensitive issues. Some of us, there is no doubt you love the Lord Jesus but you're married to someone who doesn't. And I know your marriage is a place of great love and joy, 
And it's sadness. There's sadness as it's not a place where you both share love for Jesus. Everyone's story is different. For some, you were both Christian when you got married, but your spouse no longer considers him or herself to be a believer. For others, neither of you were trusting Jesus on your wedding day, but praise God, you've come to love Jesus, though your spouse hasn't. For others, you were a Christian when you got married, but your spouse wasn't. Maybe it was something discussed before the wedding, maybe not. How are we called to live faithfully for Jesus in our various and diverse situations? 1 Corinthians 7 again and 2 Peter 3 are the key passages. They talk about Christians whose spouse doesn't love Jesus. And God says to Christians, if you're married to a non-believer, it's good and godly to remain married, to keep loving and respecting your spouse, to keep praying for them that God would mercifully open their eyes. That's for those who are currently married to a non-believer. But if you're not married, both Malachi and 1 Corinthians 7 are equally clear, do not marry a non-believer. Don't even walk down that path. Don't date a non-Christian. If you find yourself attracted, don't go there. And I know this can be hard. Uh, There are some currently single Christians who would love to be married. And there are non-Christians who show interest in you, but no Christian. Uh, This is a really hard situation to be in. The appeal of the joy of marriage, even with the sadness of not sharing joy in Christ, Christ, can almost seem worth it. But remember, even wise Solomon couldn't stop his heart being led away from God. And this is why, why as church, God calls us to be a family to be a family of genuine intimacy and love for each other. I wonder what it would take for, for us to grow our joyful love for each other so we can be a church family, a community who supports and encourages both those who are finding it hard in marriage and those finding it hard in singleness. Let's be a church that helps each other to not fall into the trap of the men of Malachi's day, being unfaithful to God by marrying idol worshippers. But this isn't the only way God's people were being unfaithful in Malachi's day. So some were marrying idol worshippers. Others were being unfaithful by callously divorcing their faithful wives. Verse 13. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Malachi begins with the result, with the end of the problem. Because of their unfaithfulness, God won't accept their offerings. Why is God not accepting their offerings? 
Well, last week it was because they were dodgy. This week is because of their hearts. The, the husbands have been callously divorcing their wives. Uh, this warning about God not accepting offerings, it sounds lots like 1 Peter 3, where God warns husbands, show respect and consideration to your wife so nothing will hinder your prayers. In Malachi's day, it's not just they weren't being considerate, they were breaking faith, breaking promises by callously divorcing. But why shouldn't they be callous? Like, why does God care whether or not they divorce? If they're both happy enough to go their separate ways, why does God care? Oh, it's because of God's picture of marriage, the picture we get in verse 14. Marriage is covenant and companionship, faithfulness and friendship. And it's worth pausing here for a moment. What the Bible says about marriage cuts across what people in different cultures tend to believe. In some cultures, marriage is about money, land and power. Uh, Marriages are arranged, sometimes to bring two families together to ensure wealth continues down generations or to ensure a daughter is provided for and can produce grandchildren to care for you in your old age. In these communities and in these cultures, there's lots of pressure to stay married no matter how unfaithful or cruel the spouse may be. In other cultures, and and this is ours, marriage is about self-expression. The wedding is a performance for Instagram. The vows are sentimental statements about how the other makes me feel. And as long as and you stay married, as long as you feel happy, as long as your spouse fulfills your psychological needs and supports your self-expression. The Bible says marriage is a covenant. Covenant's a big word in the Bible. It means serious public promise that makes a new relationship. In a marriage covenant, the public promise creates a new family. But marriage is also companionship. It's a place for intimacy, love and respect. So neither the conservative or the progressive, if you like those terms, neither of those understandings of marriage are right. They're both wrong. Or maybe they're both a bit right, but it's not the whole story. But God's word gives us the full, true picture, covenant and companionship. The problem is, with our sinful hearts... We fail to live what God says. And that's what's happening in Malachi's day. They're being unfaithful. They're hating, divorcing and doing violence. Again, this is a sensitive and serious topic. Many of us have been impacted by divorce. Whether it's the divorce of our parents or our children or our own marriage ending in divorce. And there's loads of pain around this word whether it's the pain of a broken relationship where divorce felt almost like a blessed relief or like in Malachi's day when divorce has almost been forced upon you, your spouse who made promises before God and people has callously cast you off. There's loads of pain. And on top of the inherent pain, some Christian teaching on marriage and divorce has neither been gracious nor true. Christian teaching has been callous, only adding to pain and distress. 
Some of this has been because, admittedly, verses 15 and 16 are very difficult to translate. Uh, Look at the footnote in your NIV, if that's the translation you've got in front of you. It says, the meaning of the Hebrew for the first part of this verse, verse 15, is uncertain. It's really tricky. Either Malachi is being a very, very creative poet, or there's been some mistakes in the copying process. If you're interested... Uh, look up some different translation when you get home, different translations when you get home, and you'll see. Maybe right now you're reading the translation in front of you, you're hearing what I'm reading, you're going, well, what my Bible says is very different from what Daniel's reading. Well, that's why. We, we can't know for certain what some of the bits of verses 15 and 16 say. Some Bibles translate verse 16 to say, God hates divorce. That might be the right translation, but I don't think so. But even if it is the right translation, some people have taken that version of that translation and and they twist it to mean God hates divorced people, which it definitely does not say. God is furious with the blokes in Malachi's day, callously breaking faith with their wives, casting them off. That is cruel. And God sees and will deal rightly with these faithless men. That's why he won't accept their sacrifices. No matter how much they cry, keep your crocodile tears for someone else. But God has only mercy and compassion on the women. And the hatred, maybe even violence, they've faced. So what's God's word for us who've been hurt through divorce? Once again, 1 Corinthians 7 is one of the key bits of the the New Testament on this. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul writes into a similar situation. A Christian and a non-Christian are married. And in that situation, Paul says two things to the believing spouse. Number one, do not seek divorce. Your marriage is a good and godly thing. Stick with it. Be faithful. But two... If the non-believing spouse seeks a divorce, you're not bound to remain. So I'm going to read the verses. I'll put them up on the screen. So first of all, 1 Corinthians 7.13. If a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. And verse 15. If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Now we know in these short verses is loads of heartache. It's not everything the Bible says. But the important message is, verse 13, divorce is not the answer. God values keeping the promises of marriage. But, verse 15, sometimes it's the sad reality we have to deal with. But we don't do it alone. As a church, once again, we're, we're called to be a community to, that encourages and supports those who are married so that faithfulness is possible. Faithfulness that is real and deep. We're not called to a thin covenantal view of marriage where we stay together on paper but our hearts are far from each other. No, God calls husbands to love wives and wives to respect husbands for there to be real and deep companionship. Brothers and sisters, if your marriage has become cold and distant, if contempt has replaced companionship, if disdain has replaced desire, 
You need to pray to God for help. You may need to repent. You probably need to have an uncomfortable conversation with your spouse and apologise for your part. And most likely you, you need help from others. You can't do it alone. Uh, you, you can talk to Anita and me or another trusted Christian couple in our church. Uh, you may need to seek professional counselling help. Uh, have a chat with me about suggestions for that. We, we don't have lots of options in town, but there are down on the coast and there are online. We'll get you connected with someone. But don't leave it till it's too late. It's much better to ask for help before things feel impossible. Here's an idea, maybe we should run a, a marriage course next year as a church. If that's something that interests you, that's kind of the really early stage intervention, or not even really an intervention. If that's something that interests you, let, let's chat. Because as God's church, we value faithfulness. And we show that we value faithfulness by celebrating faithful singleness and marriage live to the glory of God. But why? Why does faithfulness matter? Why does it matter who you marry? Why does it matter if you stay married? Why does the health of marriages matter? It's because as it was in Israel, it's the same for us. Faithful marriages reflect our faithful God. From Genesis to Revelation, the relationship between God and his people is described as a marriage. God is the loving husband, his people, his wife. There are loads of places in the Bible you can go to see this. Isaiah 54, Hosea 1 to 3, Jesus' parables of a wedding feast, the glorious images in Revelation 19 and 21 that we started with with Mitch earlier. But today, are we going to finish with Ephesians 5? In Ephesians 5, Paul does two things and he mashes them together. On one level, he's teaching believers how to be married. How does God want husbands and wives to do both covenant and companionship? But at the same time, he's, he's talking about Jesus. As he talks about marriage, he can't help but talk about the gospel because faithful marriages are a picture of a faithful God and vice versa. So have a listen, Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Christian marriages of love and respect, Christian marriages where the two become one flesh, united together in covenant love for life, covenant and and companionship, it reflects the gospel. It's a picture of Christ faithfully joining himself to the church, that all who trust in Jesus are united to him. Everything that is his becomes ours, not just joint bank accounts or joint names on a tenancy, but Christ's righteousness, his holiness by faith becomes ours. He gives us a new name, Christian. We belong to him. This is why faithfulness matters. And so as we look to the faithful marriages in our church, as imperfect as they are, whether you're married or not, be encouraged. How cool was it last week? A young couple joined us, married for less than 72 hours. And we've also got another couple, I won't point at them, you know who they are. I think they've been married for at least 72 years. Both reflections of God's faithfulness. 
and also those who are faithfully single, whether they're never, whether you're never married, divorced, widowed. As you live faithfully to God in singleness, you also testify to God's faithfulness as you point to the eternal and lasting union of Christ and his church. Our faithfulness matters because our God is faithful. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your faithfulness. You have been faithful to your people from generation to generation. And we see this most of all in Jesus, the one in whom all your promises are found and kept. Help us be faithful people. May the marriages in our church reflect your loving faithfulness. May husbands love their wives and wives respect their husbands. May they be relationships of companionship and covenant. May those who are single be faithful to you. May they live wholeheartedly for Jesus. May our church be a family of rich and deep relationships. Help us be a church that honours and strengthens those who are married and those who are single. Protect us from faithfulness in all our relationships, that we might reflect your faithfulness in everything. Amen.